So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I would also like to thank Konica Minolta for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. On today's Gamut Podcast, we are very happy to introduce you to two unique individuals. They are great friends who met over a mutual love of hip-hop and rap music, and they bring two very unique perspectives from the print and packaging industry, and they are Ted Tate and Adam Peak. And Ted has an amazing background in the health and beauty cosmetics industry, packaging. He's a packaging engineer, and he's worked for companies like Revlon, L'Oreal, Bath and Body Works, and I know I'm missing another one, Estee Lauder. And Ted is currently the VP of Sales Engineering for a company called CPP Global. They are a plastics manufacturer for a variety of industries, including beauty and personal care, fragrance, food and beverage, and consumer products. They operate four facilities in the United States and China as well. And Adam Peake is a senior account executive for Multicolor. They are one of the largest label companies in the world in the following market segments. And those are home and personal care, food and beverage, health care, specialty, consumer durables, and wine and spirits. They serve these markets around the world with business interests in the North American, Latin American, EMEA or Europe, Middle East and Africa, and Asia Pacific regions. They have approximately over 10,000 dedicated employees that operate 86 state-of-the-art manufacturing facilities servicing over 26 countries today. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Gamut Podcast. And again, the subject is trends in the packaging industry, trends in brands. And this is something that is dear to the heart of ID Alliance and ID Alliance membership, and that's color. And of course, we'll talk about other trends uh, from your perspective. And what do you see from each side of the industry that you're in? Uh, and that's rigid packaging on your side, Ted, and then of course, Adam, labels, what do you see happening? Uh, what are your customers asking for? And uh, of course, you know, there's a variety of color technologies that are proliferating like extended gamut printing or ECG. And of course, we always talk about G7 or the importance of gray balance for consistency and specifications to, you know, achieve really, really good color across multiple facilities globally. So what do you see um, we'll start with you, Adam. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of start that off on, uh, by the way, your episode with uh, the Dr. Kieran, how do you say his last name? Deshpande? Deshpande, yep. On, 
Yeah, on on ECG was was awesome because um, we are. Nice. I've I've seen that maturing um, as as that as that gamut is able to kind of expand out a little bit more, and brands are starting to see that it's not a it's not an either or thing where you're going. Well, you either can get high quality print or you can drive your costs down. Um, I think we're starting to see a lot of innovation within the labeling, you know, shrink sleeves, specifically shrink sleeves and, um, and pressure sensitive labels and in mold and all that kind of stuff. We're starting to see a lot of innovation uh, being pushed by the brands who are going, no, nah, we're not going to, we don't, we don't need to settle for for an either or thing mm-hmm. um and so that's been that's been something that i've i've found really not only fascinating but also um i think it's really good news um because when when you can when you can create uh packaging and in my industry you know or for for multicolor specifically you know when, when you can create labels that drive branding that are in alignment with a brand that are also cost effective that are, you know, that are also strategic and you can get into some, you know, some of those conversations, what ends up happening is your, you know, your waste levels go down. I think, uh, uh, Dr. Despande talked about that, how, you know, your, your setup times go down and your material costs go down, all this stuff goes down, which then, it is also a sustainability message. Um, and since branding and sustainability and cost savings are sort of the three things that I think, depending on what part of the, you know, what area of the brand you talk to, they're of higher importance than the other. Um, it's been cool to see companies starting to innovate to say, well, why not all three? Why, why does it just got to be one? Why do we have to be the, you know, kind of the, the cheap label supplier? And not, you know, but, but we're not going to give you good quality. You know, your colors are going to stink, but you sure won't pay a lot. Why, why can't we be all of that? And right. I think we're starting to see that a lot more in, in the, uh, the label printing part of the world. Um, Ted, I know you guys probably do obviously dealing with like the cosmetics companies by and large branding is, I mean, it's, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. I mean, for, for now, my perspective is a little different because we're making the rigid packaging that the decorations going on to. So right. we'll do a lot of direct deco. But uh, for one of our major customers, we do heat transfer labels, Yeah, which has been, uh, you know, a, a big part of their branding. And the biggest challenges uh, really are with regulations, getting all of that information onto their labeling. If there's something, let's say, with an SPF, there has to be a drug facts box. If, you know, the customer's jar does not go into a separate carton because, you know, they're sustainability-minded, they don't want to create waste, it has to go on to the, onto the jar. So it's, it's, you know, you're limited by process, on the font size and, you know, the, the thickness of the font. Right. So you, you're working within these limitations. So I don't get directly involved in that, but, you know, I do sit in on the meetings where, you know, the label supplier is there, you know, working with the package developers and engineers from the customer side, you know, getting into those kinds of details. And that's really the challenge. You have limits 
that you have to be creative on how to work within. Nice. And Ted, you've worked for major brands in the cosmetics and health and beauty industry. And some of them are L'Oreal, Revlon, and Bath and Body Works. Those are three of them that you've worked for as a packaging engineer. And my question is, what do they prioritize? Do they put color and design first? Do they approach uh, functionality first, regulations, or all of the above? I will say all of that. Yeah, I was going to say yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Because if you talk to the engineer, they're probably more focused on, you know, the technical aspects of it, font size, placement, you know, things like that. If you're talking to product development, you know, it's making sure the ingredient list is proper. If you talk to, you know, the marketing person, it's all about the color You know, so when it comes to looking at the brand in total, yes, all of the above. Yeah, it's all important. Yeah, it's it's uh, and and this is kind of where, you know, I was talking about the excitement of being in packaging where uh, so I'll get I'll give you kind of an anecdotal story. We were challenged to put uh, 12 languages for the EU on a 5 ml glass container and it was not going to go into a folding carton. Um, and, and, and it had to be machine applied. So you couldn't just sit there and and hand apply these things. And, and so you want to talk about dealing with, you're dealing with regulations, you know, EU labeling laws, can it get into all the countries? Um, you're dealing with the engineers who need to make sure that it can open, read, reseal. You're not just going to have things, you know, kind of hanging out all over the bottle, which, cause that gets into marketing and it's got to be able to print well. Uh, it's got to be able to look nice. It's got to be brand consistent. And then you're dealing with, you know, you go work with procurement and supply chain. Okay. What's our lead time going to be? And you've got to take all of this information and, and put it into one solution that can appease everybody. It, it, it is fun and it is, it's dynamic and it's cool. It, one of the coolest parts, if for anyone who's in printing and packaging, you guys all get this, right? One of the coolest things is to be walking down an aisle and go, I made that. <laughs> that's, oh, <okay. laughs> that's what we do right there. I, that's mine. And that's, that's like, it's still one of the coolest feelings ever, or to see something on a, you know, um, you know, online or to hear about something that just like blows up and you're like, I was part of that. I helped, I helped with that brand. Right. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So you, you have to deal with all these complexities, but man, at the end of the day, it's like, it's so riveting, um, when the final process comes out. It's, uh, I mean, this leads to my next question. I, we all have our own little like story about the coolest project that we ever worked on. And it usually is a big brand. For me, it was reproducing a lenticular 3D piece uh, for Spy Kids 3D uh, for Miramax mm. Films. And we spent hours, I mean, you know, 24 hours, no sleep. We just kept banging it and banging it and banging it until we got it right. We had the uh, art director there and, you know, you know how art directors are sometimes. Uh, that's just like you said, Ted, um, how do you interpret? It's not warm enough. Uh, it just doesn't pop. And yeah, I just, it doesn't feel, and I mean, it's legitimate, right? It's like, yeah, he's got that artistic side of the brain, not the technical. And I'm, I'm like, I know what he means. 
wants to be more red. Okay, more red. More red, Bob. <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, it was just, uh, well, nobody had ever, you know, nobody performed what we did as, in this one little niche and lenticular at that level of quality. So, you know, extremely proud of it. What story do you have, uh, Adam? I'll let you go first, uh, uh, Ted. What's the cool story? Take this with a with a little grain of salt, all right? Um, some of my best work was when I worked for Estee Lauder, and it was just because of the way the position was set up. Everything Color Cosmetics for all of their thirty brands that launched cosmetics came across my desk mm-hmm. for primary packaging. So. You know, their designs, I would work on figuring out how things work. So, you know, you're talking brands like Mac, you know, of course, the Estee Lauder brand, Bobby Brown, uh, Tory Burch, wow. Clinique, you like some some major brands, Tom Ford. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was so busy, I could never celebrate successes. Yep. For me, it was more, okay, we we got it done. Okay, now I have these other four to work on. But when I stepped back, um, there was a project for Tom Ford where marketing decides they want this ultra luxurious compact, um, but they wanted to have a gold bar on the front of it. And... They wanted it to be weighted and no clasp, so it had to have magnets. Mm-hmm. And they had started working with a vendor to come up with a solution. So I, you know, came onto the project with you know the vendor's suggestions on how to how to do it. And I looked at it. I said, "This will never work because you know you add a big bar to the front of the compact, you get some leverage there. You just break it off." Right. So I had to figure out, this is the problem solving, how to attach a gold bar to a compact and have it, you know, never come apart. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up doing was going back to my woodworking days of high school and created a dovetail joint. Right. So the gold bar was a multi-piece you know, metalized gold with a weight in there and another plastic piece all got sonic welded together. And with this dovetail that connected to the base of the compact, then, you know, the, 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 the platform got welded to the base. So it was very snug in there and it turned out to be a beautiful compact. It's still on the market today. And it was just old school dovetail joint. You know, so I think that was the coolest because I was able to pull something from back in high school. Yeah. You know, to apply it to, you know, something that uh, that launched maybe six years ago. Right on. And Adam, you by the way, dove, dove, dovetail joint sounds like a really cool hip hop track. I'm on it. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> and we ain't I'm talking about that kind of joint, are we? Yeah. A, no, no, hey, no. Talking, I mean, this is a Colorado uh, podcast, people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For me, I mean, the 
so here, here's what I like as, as Ted's talking, I'm like, man, I've had so many cool pro and I'm thinking through the projects, probably one of the most intriguing, I'll just, I'll talk about it from like a market standpoint. So I moved from Colorado to Utah and one of the most intriguing uh, times was working actually in the medical and retail cannabis world right. as it was emerging. You know, it's and it's still emerging. It's it's going to be emerging for a while. But being in that world and having to not just you know, it, it, you had to navigate brand, but you also had to navigate things like accounting laws. There was this like 280E tax law that basically said, and I think it still to this day says this, that, um, you know, you, if, if you are in this world, you pay your taxes off of your uh, I think it's your gross profit. Mm -hmm. Um, can't remember which one gross or net, whatever the one is, it's way up at the top of the cash flow sheet. So you end up paying like a 60, 65% effective tax rate, which cripples a lot of these companies. Right. And, and so packaging was really the only way to spend money on marketing that you could directly assign to cost of goods sold. Right. And so that's a problem I had never even once considered being in this world. And so, you know, it, it just became this, this very interesting world to be in and a difficult one to navigate because you didn't know who was going to be around, um, you know, who was going to stick, who wasn't going to stick. Um, you know, digital printing really ruled the day because literally the regulations were changing on the fly. And it would be like, you have 30 days and you've got to put, you know, you've got to track the you know, from, from, from the seed, you know, all the way to, to the end user and you've got to know where it all is. And then RFID came in, but it was just, it was a wild, wild right. time it's a wild to west, be in really. packaging. I mean, it's just, it was, it was truly open. the wild west. I mean, yeah. Uh, and literally the wild west. I mean, when you think about the States, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, I had uh, talked to you uh, prior, just our own personal conversation and we had, uh, you know, the issues with, you know, bank loans, you know, leasing and things like that when we were yep. you know, dealing with uh, the startups in that industry. And so it was, yeah. it was quite a challenge. How do you give somebody credit? Yeah. You know, like how, yeah, so you, it was just, you know, there's, there's not like there's a Dun and Bradstreet for, for a weed company. It's just, there's no, it was, it was just, it, just it was super fascinating. Right. So. <laughs> Oh, uh, Dun and Bradstreet. That's, that's hilarious for a weed company. But I do want to stay on the topic of trends in the packaging industry. And of course, from your points of view. So the subject is personalization. We saw the trend or the uh, hugely popular uh, Coke use of personalization on their cans and bottles uh, of individual names. And recently I received the package that my daughter had ordered online for customized hair care products to take care of frizzy hair. And it was amazing. She was so excited when she saw the package, not so much that she got the, uh, uh, the, the product itself, but the personalization that was involved that had her name decorated, you know, direct to object, variable data with her name on each, the, uh, each bottle, the conditioner and then the shampoo. And then inside the package with the beautiful, uh, teal corrugated colored package that she opened up and on the top of the package, you know, on the flap, it had her name and the name of the product. Uh, and of course she was just 
totally stoked about that and kept talking about it. She's still talking about it. This is like a week ago. And so hugely effective. And uh, talk to me about personalization. Do you see a demand or more of a demand of personalization in your respective parts of the uh, packaging industry? It's one of the more common questions. Um, you can imagine it typically is not coming from somebody in the supply chain um, because late stage what was a term I just heard. Differentiation. Like late, yeah, late stage differentiation within a supply chain is really, really tough. Um, and so, depending on how depending on how personalized you need to make something when it comes to especially like labels or folding cartons or rigid setup boxes, the secondary packaging, uh, it becomes really difficult from a supply chain standpoint. That being said, the difficulties and and even the associated cost to get around those difficulties uh, is, is being driven by consumer demand in a lot of cases where in, in the day and age in which we live, where, Everybody can sort of have a voice. Um, you know, everybody has their own, can have their own platform, whether it's on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or uh, TikTok, you know, uh, Twitch, all these different uh, platforms. Any Anybody can have a platform now. Um, and so when you are a brand that's used to selling to the masses, what Coke did was pretty ingenious because what, what they ended up doing is is communicating to the individual in a way that I don't know that I've ever really seen done on a, on a massive level like that. And now they're getting into, you know, sports. And uh, somebody told me that they did, they announced that they were having a, a boy. They had like a gender reveal party at their, you know, she was pregnant. It was like, it's a boy, but it was all Coke labels. And so they've really, they did a great job of moving beyond and overcoming a lot of those complications. And there certainly were complications, not only in the printing, um, you know, think about Coke red is one of the, is, is one of the most iconic red colors that we have in branding. And you're going to have to match a, uh, uh, you know, it was basically just a, a role, like a roll style. I wasn't part of the project, but let's say that was a Gravier printed roll stock label going on the Coke bottles. And you've got to put a digital red label on top of that. And the red's got to be dialed in. I mean, the printing right. people, it's like, holy cow, that's crazy. Um, but they pulled it off. Um, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, and there was a reason that they felt compelled to pull it off is because the, the shift in consumer demand. I got it. Exactly. And Ted, from your point of view, um, on personalization and the rigid packaging uh, side of uh, cosmetics and uh, health and beauty for companies like Estee Lauder and where you're at now uh, in, in your sales role for CPP, what uh, do you see? Do you see uh, personalization, uh, variable data? Uh, and of course, this is done typically uh, with, well, let's talk about digital. So we're talking about digital um, processes, digital technology for direct to object and uh, short run variable data that's involved with corrugated. Do you see that being applied to uh, your side of the industry as well? So what we're seeing, um, <clears throat> digital printing is 
is becoming more of a discussion um, for the late stage differentiation, of course, to be able to switch in and out of, you know, multiple SKUs very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a pr- production standpoint for us, it would be great because it's really no downtime for, for changeovers. Right. So it's more efficient. Um but the other reason is because you can have a unique um, decoration for each jar. And that leads into diversion coding. So authenticity of the product is a big discussion right now. What is so that? being able what, what is often explain that term to me. I've never heard it before. I apologize. Okay, no problem. So what what happens sometimes, um, especially for very expensive products, um, they might get diverted into the gray market or counterfeit market. I see. So if you have you know a product that goes into this jar, you know the cost of the jar for us is the same no matter what product goes in it from a production standpoint, but from a brand standpoint, you know, your face cream might cost $65 in the store. Mm -hmm. Well, if somebody along your supply chain from when it leaves our manufacturing gets to your filler, gets filled, things might go missing. So, you know, 5,000 jars might go missing. Right. And it's hard to keep track of 5,000 jars when you're running, you know, 20 million. And those 5,000 might get filled with, you know, a subpar bootleg formula and get sold at online through eBay. I see. And, you know, finding ways of tracking where, you know, the counterfeiters are getting the components um, you know, so it, it, it adds a level of security to be able to trace, you know, and identify counterfeit product. Mm-hmm. So that becomes very important, especially, you know, with the Internet age and being able to, you know, blast a brand for a subpar product. It could be counterfeit and the brand is getting blamed for something being subpar. So it, it helps with the authenticity discussion um, to be able to digitally print onto the rigid containers. And sometimes even dovetailing on that, the, so there's, there's a counterfeit products and that's a problem. Um, That's a huge problem. Like you said, Ted, in terms of the social media awareness, it's hard to undo. And then even further down the supply chain, sometimes you have actual genuine product that's popping up for, you know, if it's 65 bucks at a retailer, it's $40 on eBay and it's the, it's the product. It is an authenticated product and because of, because of the, because of the gray market. And so this digital printing, you know, this product authentication, and then even things like RFID um, become wildly important because it's, it's, it, it can degrade your brand. Um, it's a conversation that I have, Jeff, probably more often than you would imagine. Somebody goes on eBay and they see their products for selling for 70%. You got some pretty, some pretty pissed off retailers because you have contracts with them. And for whoever took that product uh, and put it out onto Amazon or eBay or wherever it is, whoever took it 
is not necessarily breaking any U.S. laws. They're, they're breaking a contract because they probably have a contract that says, hey, you've got to go sell this to wherever, whatever retailer it is. But they, you sell them your product, right? You know, if it's a contract, right. it, you know, if it goes to a DC, you have sold them that product, and so they can technically do whatever they want. You can go break your contract, and you can you can sue them for a breach of contract and all that kind of stuff. But how do you know it's them? No, I don't want to sound. So angry. there's a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, there's just a lot around that. That's a, that's a great right. point. That there's a ton around that conversation. So not just personalization for the consumer, but also differentiation for the brand owner for product authenticity, uh, you know, anti-counterfeiting and anti-diversion tactics. And uh, I would love to talk more. I could probably do a whole podcast on packaging security features and anti-counterfeiting and want to look at uh, some uh, newer trends above and beyond RFID tags. We used to uh, uh, do proof of concept uh, test runs when I worked for a press manufacturer with RFID. Just really to, the application was to uh, track and monitor inventory. And now we see the acquisition uh, of Whole Foods by Amazon and this concept of a no cashier environment. Uh, really, there's no human intervention as far as the transaction. You go walk into the store grab a product, walk out, and uh, it, of course, debits your bank account or credit card or method of payment. So talk to me about something that's similar to that. What do you see along those lines and labeling and packaging? Is there anything? So near-field communication, which is uh, NFC, uh, is is a similar style tag to RFID, um, but uh, near-field communication allows for interaction with a personal cell phone, yeah. um, and that's been that's been coming on fairly quickly uh, as as mobile shopping and e-commerce has really kind of ticked up, um, and then Apple finally opened up their their phone software to allow for interaction with third-party apps that you could use. Uh, you could use through NFC. So um, I've seen I've seen an uptick. It used to just be like Samsung and Windows and Nokia that you could use these with, but Apple's such a big driver in the U.S. market that once they allowed access to it, uh, there's a, a lot more brand owners that are starting to use um, NFC. Um, you know, our, like you said, RFID is much more industrial. It's for tracking. It it, it can't. It is used for anti-counterfeiting and product diversion and things like that. Uh, whereas NFC is much more uh, branding. You can't rapidly read and write to it because it requires uh, an, an intimacy of interaction between the device, in this case, a cell phone and the antenna. Right. And that's incorporated into, into packaging quite a bit. Now, do you, do you guys know of any uh, specific um, retailers or brands or companies that are utilizing NFC or is it still essentially a, uh, uh, somebody's pipe dream? Um, I'm trying to think of which brands I could, I, I could tell you that are using it. Uh, I know there, there was a big, uh, there was an advertisement that we did. This is a few years back with Lexus. Um, in Wired Magazine, where we did a uh, uh, so Lexus, um, and it was with us and Quad Graphics at the time, and uh, we printed a, an NFC label that was then applied to a Lexus ad in a in a 
um, in a magazine. And what would happen is you could take your phone and you would place it on top of the, the ad and there's no app required. There's no, there's nothing. It just opened up a video and it allowed for interaction within the video to see the new dashboard on the new Lexus that was coming out. Right. And you could, you could, you know, you could fill out something at the end of it, but what was happening is uh, Lexus is getting information on who is interacting. What areas of the country are people interacting with this magazine? Mm-hmm. How effective is it? So they're getting access to all of that data in, in almost real time to start targeting other ads. Whereas if they just had a print ad in Wired magazine, you have no idea who's looking at it. Yeah. You can't tap into that. Yeah. Uh, this gave them intimate access into this. That would be one example. That I've seen. I don't know, Ted. Have you guys played around much with uh, with near field communication? No, that hasn't been a request from the rigid side. Yeah, I personally have not seen it uh, myself out shopping yet, but uh, I'm sure it'll yeah. come about soon. Um, it's because it's really expensive, to be honest. With you. you can do the same thing. You can do something right. similar with the QR code, mm-hmm. and so once once Apple built in the QR code into their phone, you just hold up your camera and it'll access it. Um, you know, a QR code is essentially free, although marketers, graphic designers don't really like it. Whereas an NFC tag is, that requires some hardware. It requires a software, right? And, and a tag is like 25 to 40 cents a piece. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big investment. So, so I want to ask you about another trend. I see this all the time at every trade show, all uh, print packaging trade show, this is augmented reality. And of course, there's the, uh, the company that does the, uh, wine bottles, you know, the labels on the wine bottles. Uh, I, I can't remember the name. I don't drink wine, but, uh, point is, is that I go to trade shows. I hear all about it. I see it on LinkedIn. It's all about augmented reality. And, uh, I've seen some good examples of it. I took my, uh, kids again to a movie and they gave us a, uh, Basically, it was a magazine, and uh, we took our phone. It was uh, uh, the latest Jurassic Park uh, movie, and it was really, really neat. And a lot of information, great interaction, beautiful graphics. And so, do you guys see a demand for augmented reality in what you do? Probably not so much, Ted, on the uh, rigid packaging. Maybe so. I don't know. Um, but I would love to hear whether or not that is something that has taken off uh, or is it still, you know, a, uh, uh, a flash in the pan for uh, current state? No, I, I yeah. think um, the augmented reality does come at a certain price point. And especially in the cosmetic industry, the package is the bulk of your cost of goods. So, you know, they're, they're looking for ways to be cost efficient. And I I think augmented reality, you would see more of that um, from a digital standpoint. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen it used for makeup color selections, so you look at a screen and you can change the color of your lips, you know, that type of thing. I've seen the augmented reality used for that, but but not, you know, directly with the rigid packaging. Great. Uh, now I remember the uh, name of that uh, wine. It was uh, 19 Crimes. Um, I think 
Thank you, Google. Yeah. So, um, so Multicolor is the is the company that worked with with Nineteen Crimes, and it's kind of out all over our website and everything. Yeah. Um, and that that sort of became the the, the first big AR play in in consumer product goods. So, um, it, you know, it's certainly a it's a conversation I think a lot of brands want to do, and and, and they want to have that conversation. The, the there are there are um, problems, obviously, and and oftentimes what I find is it's a hard thing to have a vision for. I mean, 19 Crimes pulled it off, and it's really cool, um, but it also requires somebody to download an app. Um, yes. So you have to you have to have the app on your phone. You've got to be ready to go, um, and then you got to make it do something. I mean, it it's got to be there's got to be enough of a we'll call it like enough of a gain got to be cool enough that somebody wants to go through the hassle of downloading your app, putting yet another app on their phone and then interacting with it. It's not going to do enough to just have a, you know, a, a person waving back or something, you know, something like that. that mm -hmm. Don't just do AR for the sake of doing AR, but do it to provide value, uh, not only for your brand. I think for 19 crimes, I didn't even know, I didn't even know who they were until I found out about the the AR thing. I think it was all over social media. So, um, and I went out and bought 19 crimes wine. Right. And I learned, I learned about the brand and I liked the wine and I've bought it again. So it worked for me. Um, they created a viral ad and it, and it, it went all through social media and I'm sure that they got a pretty hefty ROI on that. Other brands, I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, you gotta be, gotta be a marketing decision. Great. And so we're shift right over to another topic for trends and that's omni-channel. Do you guys have a demand to collaborate and work with you know, social media, with the marketeers to make sure everything kind of gels is on the same page as far as graphics and content uh, to maximize the potential of social media and Instagram and Facebook and uh, to influence that retail decision? Um, from my standpoint, I, I think uh, the package is not – how can I say it? It's not um, directly being made for that. Right. I think you know my collaboration with designers and marketing is more to you know create the best looking package as possible that functions the way they need it to and you know decorate it so it's appealing and you know it gets used for that marketing endeavor yeah and i would i would venture to guess too ted that the kind of the omni channel experience is is probably part of what you're talking about when when a marketing person wants it to you know when they want it to look nice what that used to mean was retail shelf presence. That's still important. Retail has not gone away. There's a reason Amazon bought Whole Foods, all that kind of stuff. Right. So how many how many times now, have you heard make it Instagrammable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so so are are you because exactly. I would I would bet that yeah, make it, you know, make it Instagrammable. Uh, these unboxing videos are wildly popular. And so that, you know, for a especially for like a beauty brand to have these videos out there with these influencers who 
can, you know, there, there's a, there's a kind of a, a wow moment, I think that can come from the rigid design of just the, the elegance that wants to be communicated. So now the impact is, is not just at the retail shelf, but it also has to be impactful when it comes out of a brown box or a padded mailer, not as elegant as, although you can make it elegant, but maybe that's not as elegant, but when they open up and they see your product and they grab it and they hold it and they feel the weight, you know, they're doing reviews. It's on Instagram. It's not, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have those conversations? Not necessarily. Like I said, the, 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 Man, that's by wild. The, time, the way it's communicated I'm sure is for that, but it's not yeah. communicated as that. So, you know, the, the designs and how it's decorated, um, like I said, I'm sure it, it feeds into that, but it's not communicated right, right. that way. Well, let me ask you, uh, Adam, uh, on your side of the house labels, uh, what about uh, the question that uh, Ted uh, expounded on? Uh, yes, you know, from a from a label printing, uh, folding carton, shrink sleeve printing, uh, that conversation does come up, uh, particularly when it's uh, say a product launch. So, you know, Ted, this is probably where you would get you would get pressured for um, for prototypes and things like that, and I'm getting pressured for. A, a digital print, but the digital label has got to look exactly like the direct deco that they're going to put on the tube because they're not going to buy labels, but they can't get the tube decorated in time. So they've got, but they've got to do their big push. So they've got to send out, you know, everything to, to the influencers. They've got to get their Facebook ads made. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's everything from, from that, just prototyping and mock-ups and, um, and getting those to marketing all the way to the, the actual product, um, because it's, it's, it's no longer enough to make your packaging, uh, functional to get through the supply chain, though. That's certainly, you have to have that. You, you can't, you can't not have it be functional. I can use a double negative, but it also has to, it, it, it's got to sell at the shelf, but now it's also got to sell at the home it's got to it's got to sell under imperfect lighting uh with a bad cell phone camera shot with poor audio that now all of a sudden has 10 million views on youtube because you know someone's pet monkey grabbed it and ran or so you know something crazy like that like it's it's such a bizarro crazy emerging and fun world marketing and packaging is is playing a part of that and i think we're playing catch up we're certainly not leading the charge very well said now, I'm going to, sh- again, uh, throw out another uh, trend, okay? And that is the, you know, what does sustainability mean? And maybe you guys can share a story around that. Uh, and I, I recently saw a post of yours, Adam, uh, from the uh, floor of the show, I believe, or maybe you uh, mm-hmm. pushed it out. But uh, you were talking about everyone has is talking about sustainability in each one of the booths, each vendor. And 
Yeah. So, not, not don't want to kind of go down that route. Uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, if somebody. I'll let you say if somebody had a booth with, uh, you know, a club uh, to yeah. hit baby seals, <laughs> they would say it was just sustainable. And yeah, uh, if somebody was selling a selling yeah. a baby seal club, right? That they would that their booth would have said well, the benefits, sustainable benefits of clubbing baby seals or something like that. You'd be like, oh, that was just everybody. It's every, was everything yeah, it kinda, was sustainable? Kind of loses its end impact when everybody has the same message and it kind of um, makes you wonder if uh, everyone's being uh uh well, i don't want to say transparent again but is, sure. is 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 everybody really sustainable probably not i mean that's the goal but uh it's you know it, it's sad to watch something as important as that uh turn into you know become a uh, buzzword like everything else right that uh yep. is very very meaningful there's a great line from the incredibles movie where uh the i forget the bad guy's name but he says uh, if everyone's super then no one is and he yeah. has this maniacal laugh right. that's what it kind of what it reminded me of with sustainability i would bet that ted you're probably square in the i mean the, the cosmetics industry probably second to like the beverage industry with plastic bottles is it seems to be the the place where most of this is originating from and innovating around right right and it's no longer just a discussion it's a requirement right i mean you have some major brands that have published you know goals for 2020 goals for 2025 and it's all around you know carbon footprint um you know no longer using fossil fuels for their packaging so meaning everything has to be recycled um, from recycled content so you know post-consumer recycling pcr is a big term um Mm -hmm. you know even the resin suppliers are now working hard to figure out ways to introduce resins that don't require fossil fuels. So it, it's having an impact, and, and these companies are very serious about it to the point, like I said, they're publishing it you know, for the world to see what their targets are, and they're reporting on their targets yearly. So I have a few major brands that everything they launch from here on out needs to have PCR content. Does that, how does that impact the cost to the retailer? Uh, so <laughs> depending on, on, you know, what the material is, there are some instances where converting to something that can have some PCR can either be the same cost or a little cheaper. So, you know, it, it really depends. Right. Um, there's also a trade-off, you know, with the aesthetics, how things look, because, you know, most times the, the could you know, the, the PCR content is grayish or greenish, you know, because it's from old material reground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get the, the whites to be as bright. So there's some trade-off that brands have to understand. Um, and some brands kind of take that on at, just to show like, look, we're sacrificing pretty for being right. sustainable. You know, and, and they'll 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 kind of highlight the fact that their things aren't as pretty as they used to be because they're they're doing the right thing. So 
you know, it depends on the brand, but now even the small brands that don't have the kind of buying power are, are requiring it right. because a lot of these smaller brands is part of their brand DNA, mm-hmm. you know, and this goes back to the transparency. They're, they're, they're being transparent about the, what's in their formulas and to, to be all gung ho about clean formulas and then to put it into a wasteful package just doesn't make sense, right? So they, from start to finish, the sustainability is a part of who they are. So it's not going away. It's only going to increase. And we see that uh, Coke has announced that they're swapping, it says here, 4,000 metric tons of shrink wrap for cardboard in Western Europe. It's huge for, well... Somebody yeah. selling cardboard—it's a great thing, but uh, <laughs> as far as, yeah, not so much for the shrink sleeve people. Not not so much for this, the the, uh, the yeah the, the the flexo guys. Sorry, um, but uh, to maintain um, color and maintain that brand identity on labels on these types of substrates that are eco-friendly. Uh, are there any challenges on your side when you're working with brands or do you see anything that, uh, or is it just, Hey, this is just another substrate. Uh, we really haven't run into any yeah. problems. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, that's such a tough question because again, the, the question of what is sustainable, um, is still not actually answered across uh, no, but no, but I don't think that everybody has a proper definition. So you'll have people say, that the process of making paper is worse on the environment than uh, the process to make you know, PET. Right. And then, uh, you know, China is not taking our recycling. So is recycling paper and destroying the fire? Is that really a good thing? Well, I don't, I don't know. If I had the solution to all this stuff, I don't think that I would, I probably would go like run for office and solve global climate change. I, I don't have any idea, but I think the point is that there's still so much conversation going on around what is sustainable. Um, you know, from a label standpoint, it's uh, most of our conversations, to be honest, are how easily will the label wash off of the bottle or um, with, with the case of things like PET, uh, creating the same polymer PET so that when it adheres to the container, it can just go through a standard recycling chain mm-hmm. and it's not going to contaminate the PET on the backside of that, of that channel. So there's a lot of really cool conversations going on um, around those things with shrink sleeves and with labels that I, I think is fun. I think it's exciting. I think it's necessary and that's not effectively changing the brand. It's not, Understood. it's not a, um, you know, it's not something that that's really being marketed, but it's brands actually doing what they say they're going to do. So, okay. um, it's happening. Like that said, every, every brand, it's a requirement, you know, the, the element MacArthur foundation is pushing a lot of stuff and rightly so. Um, and I think we all just have to be prepared to not only accept the challenge, but then also push back and say, you know, this isn't really sustainable, right? right. <laughs> we got to we got to be able to be the experts as well and, the and say and push back or find the truth and then you know go from there, Correct. as opposed to 
conjecture. If you know, if you know the feelings. truth, the truth yeah. will set you free. Exactly. I'll get yeah. my pastor hat back on. The, there you go. Hey, I, guys, I, I hate to uh, rush this to an end, but uh, we're at 2.59, or we have two minutes left, and Ted, you have to take off. One thing I wanted to ask Ted and Adam, you can stay on after Ted gets off. Ted, is do you have any parting thoughts, core philosophies, uh, something that uh, you know you want to share with our listeners uh, that is more of a uh, you know, maybe a spiritual or philosophical uh, focus? Wow, that's uh, that's a big question. In um, two minutes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and relating to packaging, right? Not not just Pack- in life. It could be any. Well, it, a lot of the things that relate to life really work well in uh, my 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 uh, business uh, uh, life as well. So you know, just uh, whatever comes to your mind. Yeah. Well, in general, um, try to do good. So if that's your guiding principle, a lot of these discussions about sustainability and transparency, you know, it fits with all of that. Right. So if you, you try to do good for the environment, for the customer, you know, that guiding principle will will, will lead you in the right direction at all times. There you go. And Adam, um, I'm just going to interject here uh, real quick on on that topic of what uh, Ted just said. And this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose however you act, but it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. And I think truth, you said the truth will set you free. The truth is, isn't that, doesn't that mean good kind of? Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, man, now I'm getting all like, I need some amen. So we gotta, we gotta do this proper. I gotta get, <laughs> gotta get all dressed up. Uh, you start bringing in Clive Staples. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea of the idea of truth is, uh, is in, in a pursuit of truth is ultimately good. Um, but I, I do, I do think that there are times where we are pursuing something that we think is truth and it is in fact not truth. So having, having a common purpose, whether it's in packaging. So having that purpose to say, what are, what are we trying to do together as a, as a print supplier as in marketing and supply chain and corporate social responsibility, sustainability, what is our, what is our common goal? And then let's let that together kind of be that what's the kind of like your, your true North, like that's what we're aiming to go do. Um, and so that, that principle, I'm a believer in closed fisted principles and open handed methods. So have principles, be a principled person. I think that was a, a pastor who said that I don't remember. I'd give him credit if I can remember who it was. Um, but that principle of, of having principles that guide you, but then be willing to change up your methodology to get to those principles um, can go a long ways. Don't get stuck. Don't get hung up on. This is the only way to do this this exact thing. There you go, gentlemen. Thank you so much. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and close the gamut podcast. And again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ted. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Wonderful conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day. 